This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I'm delighted to welcome Kim Vidkyar to the show. Kim will talk about how good ideas, passion, and funding are not enough to start a successful business. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm really excited to talk about your book, but I want you to give this global audience a little background and your experience and what motivated you to research success and failures of companies. Yeah, sure, of course. So my my own story is actually that I started uh, my first company when I was 19 years old. And I actually had a lot of years where things were going quite well. So at, when I was around 19 year, 29 years old, I was at, at the point where I was actually a millionaire and would be able to you know, sell off my assets and kind of live off the interest from that point. And, and, and that you know, sounded like a, a small fairy tale. And issue being, of course, that fast forward two years later, I was basically broke and I had actually lost more money than the average American earns in a lifetime. So, so that was a, a, a harsh uh, setback uh, and, and uh, acquaintance with reality. And, and from there on, I had a personal project of you know, figuring out first off, you know, how am I, am I going to get back on my feet and, and what went wrong and sort of learning from that. And little by little, I gathered more and more information on why it is that companies, they fail. And, and uh, over the years, this actually evolved into more a database of the potential failures and, and now ultimately a, a book many years later. But that wasn't my aim at the beginning, of course. It was more like a, a selfish motivation to avoid failure. Well, I appreciate that you come to this from experience and you outline several reasons, eight in particular in the book, in in great detail about failure and the unknown. So walk us through a few of those eight and help us understand what what are the big failures for entrepreneurs? Yeah. So so in the book, I I walk through what I sort of call the life cycle of of a startup. So looking at yourself in terms of your attitude and those F-ups that are related to this through business model, market research, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, one of the classic problems that uh, many entrepreneurs uh, uh, and people not perhaps not yet having started a company, but considering it uh, run into would be th- this whole thing, talk about passion, where of course, uh, it is true that you know passion is a necessity, and we have all heard you know just follow your passion and everything will be fine and dandy, and and the actual reality is a little bit different, because building a business from passion uh, is often actually uh, a, a, the surefire recipe for disaster, because uh, what we really want to be looking at instead is finding problems and then combining that with a passion. So finding a problem somewhere where um, where you see it, it, it could be anywhere, anywhere you, you something you come across in your daily life or in business life or whatever. Someone say this is a, some, an issue, a problem that has not yet been solved, and that's where you'll find a business model. So that's a lot stronger. 
Exactly. And thank you for that, because I I believe you should be happy in your work. And it's wonderful if passion is part of that. But passion is not always practical and doesn't always lead to a solvent business model. So you say beautifully in the book, it's incredibly important to have a good product or a service or an idea. So how do you know? How do you know if it's good? Yeah, that, that's a uh, <laughs> that's a very good question. Almost hard to answer, but but of course, uh, uh, checking your product uh, or your service or your business idea in the market is is the best way to do this. And this is also where uh, we tend to talk about uh, doing these uh, MVPs, uh, minimum viable products. But the idea being that you actually test out your product in the marketplace. Uh, and you can do this in a number of different ways. So depending on, on what your idea is, for instance, you know, writing a book. Uh, I, I tested out this uh, idea by just, you know, talking to people and, and doing some online uh, questionnaires, seeing you know, is, there some, is there an audience for this? So would people actually want to read about failure as an example? Or if you are starting a, a consultancy, then you no know, investigate if there are customers that will actually buy this before you build the actual product or at least complete it. Test it out along the way. That's that's a a, a very sort of uh, solid approach to this. Whereas you know, build it and they will come. It doesn't really exist. I I agree. You know, it's interesting that you talk about test driving a book. Similarly, before I wrote my books, I was blogging for a, a few years to really yes. learn who the audience was and to begin to develop a community. And it's very similar to a business. You have to know if there's a demand or an interest in what you have to offer. Exactly, and and I, I, I spot on, and actually I th- I, f- I think that a lot of authors uh, uh, get that wrong by writing, you know, their dream, and not caring if there's an audience for that. And you know, it, it, as writing a book, as you uh, would be very well aware of, it's a it's a tiring process. In the same yeah. way as you know, making a startup is also I, I call it for running a marathon in a minefield, and it, you know, it's it takes a toll. So. Yeah. Before doing that or embarking on that journey, you really need to make sure that there is someone at the other end, you know, receiving you, an audience, a target group, customers, whatever. And Kim, you write beautifully about the fact that not everybody is a great manager. Tell me more about that. Yeah. So, uh, uh, of course, there are many managerial issues that that uh, <laughs> that you will run into in this and 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 most of us has have probably you know uh, worked with uh, people who, who have are not sort of maybe born leaders and there's a big difference between being a leader and a manager mm-hmm. um, and and in this context of course specifically if we're talking about startups having you know a, a, a team spirit where we are unified uh, in going for something that is uh, of course hopefully of a high financial value, but should also be something where we as uh, colleagues and employees can see ourselves in, in this mission unfolding over the years of, of you know, much, uh, much hard work. But, you know, th- there are so many different ways to, to be a, a terrible manager. Uh, uh, so it, it's, it's almost, you know, uh, Im- impossible to just li- list a few. You know, it's interesting, though, Kim, because I agree with you. Some managers are are trained and groomed and developed over time as our leaders. And I agree there's certainly a difference between managers and leaders. But in a in a startup business, in any business, you have to build great teams. So you write about encouraging complementary chemistry. Tell us more about that. Yeah. 
So, uh, uh, so for instance, uh, uh, yeah, exactly. When, when building a team, it's important from a, a, a business perspective to have a diversified team. So uh, this is not just uh, uh, because that you you should be a, you know a, a, a decent human being. It's actually that that uh, making sure that your team uh, is diversified because that will help you through a lot of uh, potential problems. And um, a, a good example of this would also be uh, in certain uh, um, uh, certain industries where, for instance, if you are you know only working. Uh, with men, which is my a concrete example I have there, which I, I'm, I'm, I have F up that I'm actually calling hiring men. And, and by that, I also mean the, the broad category saying, you know, and I actually call it for hiring white heterosexual men, being that if, you are, if you're only looking for a specific uh, sort of character to fit the team that, that, that you are running with, you are going to mess up entirely. Um, whereas there is a, a ton of studies on, on um, showing that a diversified team may initially be a little harder to get off the ground because they need to know, get to know each other and, and so on and so forth. But once you are beyond that point, it's actually the, the, the value is much, much higher. I, I have a, a favorite example uh, where there is a, a, um, a, a company in Germany, uh, of course, pure male founders, and they decide design something called pinky gloves, which uh, is a, a, an entirely stupid idea. <laughs> where uh, uh, basically uh, the idea being that they would d develop these uh, uh, like gloves to, to uh, dispose of tampons and pads. And, and because this is supposedly a big, big problem for, for women. And the, we had these men supposed to know all about uh, this, right? And they had no female, uh, females on the team, which is extremely stupid. And, yes. and they, they got a lot of venture, actually. Surprisingly, uh, uh, they actually got funded, of course, by men. And, and uh, uh, you know, the, the, the entire concept was, was a, a bloody shame, really. And, and uh, of course, had they consulted with uh, just, you know, one female about the product idea, they would have realized that this is uh, stupid with stupid on top, and they would have saved themselves a ton of embarrassment and uh, the following negative press. So, you know, it's an easy example, but it, it does underline the point that, you know, diversification in terms of your team actually matters, and it will give you a much sort of a stronger outlook on what is your target group, what does your product look like, and, and so on and so forth. Kim, I am so enjoying this conversation, and we will be right, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So, Kim, you taught me a new phrase, stupid with stupid on top. That that made me smile. That's brilliant. <laughs> you know, I, I, I agree with you 100% about bringing diversity of thought onto your team. And what a great example of the men who had no women influence on that team and it, and it failed. But it's interesting in, in a startup, in a brand new business, often it's difficult to recruit and people look to friends and family members who are not always well suited to honor that team. So how do you go about finding talent in the early stages of your startup business? Yeah, so, so exactly the, the idea of, of, of 
hiring friends and family is tempting. And it is something that, that uh, I've also seen in many startups. And, and I understand why, because, you know, you have a, a friend and you know that he or she may be extremely good at something that your startup needs and it's tempting. But you should be aware that you are either you are risking your startup because this person will not be the best judge of what to do in this specific situation because of, of the relationship that you guys have already or you are risking your friendship. So, so the, the, it's, it's going to be, you know, a loose, loose scenario. Uh, one way or the other and and as it is today you know instead take the time and and go out and and look for people uh, in the same way as you were in in the future would be looking for colleagues and there is the added benefit that working with uh, a startup is actually interesting for a lot of people these days so following you know the, the great resignation we've seen uh, a lot of new companies starting up we had a, a, a record uh, 5.4 million new business applications last year in the US. And um, the interest around startup is, startups is growing you know, day by day. So it is, it, it's not that complicated to find uh, people who would want to work in a startup environment. And the important uh, thing here is you know, you know, uh, look outside your, your nearest circle of, of uh, friends and family and so on and so forth. Kim, you write so uh, humbly about failure and how we need to spot the failure and then learn how to recover. So those that are listening around the world and are in their new business, how do they spot the failure and, and how do they know that it's time to pivot and change things? Yeah. So I think that, that uh, uh, one thing about uh, failure is that you sort of have to know uh, the patterns in advance. So there are some obvious ones that you would see, uh, but 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 actually also you know a, a part of the, my motivation for for this project is to to be able to identify these patterns in advance. Some of them are fairly easy. An example being, if you are making a company, uh, your outcome is much more likely to be successful if you have a, a founding partner. So making a company on your own is just uh, more complicated and you, you have your odds stacked against you as opposed to if you had a, a one or more uh, founding partners. It's a, that's a, a simple problem and a simple fix. Others are more complicated, of course, such as selecting a, one of my F-ups I call a idiot industry, meaning that there are just some industries that are more obvious to move into than others where you can see on, on you know the numbers that it's just you'll earn money faster in those industries than other industries. So knowing, you know, again, I talk about the mind, the marathon in a minefield. So knowing where the mines are located is of course going to be a, a huge advantage in this. And it is hard to, you know, foresee where the mines are located unless you have some sort of map to this. You, you talk a lot about money and so many new business owners, entrepreneurs are chasing the money. And you talk about how this is, can be really dangerous and to keep your focus. So help our listeners understand that balance. Yeah. So uh, in terms of funding your, your, your company, then uh, I would almost always recommend you uh, bootstrapping as the first uh, step. And by bootstrapping, I mean that you are uh, funding your company yourself uh, uh, until the point where you actually know that you have a company, so to speak. So if you were, and I, I've seen many cases like this, uh, uh, and I have many 
friends and founders who have been doing this earlier on, if you would, would try to get funding at the very start of your company, this is going to be extremely expensive for you. Because, you know, if I, if I was to invest in a company that didn't really have anything yet, then I'm going to require a large chunk of equity uh, in exchange for my money uh, because this would be a high-risk company. Whereas if you're just, you know, a little further down the road, so you actually, you know, have the, the, the product or you have the, the target group in place or maybe even a bit of a proof of concept by selling your product, then uh, my risk as an investor is much lower and, and thereby also your gain by the investment is much cheaper because you would have to sell off uh, less equity to get to that point. And then, of course, it can make a lot of sense uh, uh, getting funded. But up until that point, I actually consider it, uh, uh, you know, a, a big effort to, to fund your company too early. That's helpful. I really appreciate that because so many entrepreneurs think they've got to get the funding. And, and quite honestly, I think often they need to invest in refining the business and doing good work and, and starting small and scaling yeah. when they're ready. Completely. And also that, that will leave you with a much healthier company. Yeah. So if, if, if your business idea is based on, you know, you getting X millions uh, in a million uh, US in funding before getting anywhere, then that's going to be a huge risk for everyone. And even though that may not be your funding, then it's going to be, you know, your, you know, 60, 80 hours per week <laughs> into this, uh, uh, you know, black hole. I'd like to ask you a little bit about sales, because whether you have a product or a service, at some point, you need to market and promote and sell what you're offering. And often that is a very scary proposition for entrepreneurs. How do they how do they sell? So what are the what are the key areas of doing sales well? Yeah. So uh, again, you know, you, you need a good team in place for, for your company. And and one of those elements would definitely be having some sales talent on board in your company. So if, if, you, if you're not an, a natural salesperson yourself, and, and, and God knows I wasn't when I started uh, doing company, my, my first uh, startups, uh, then you either need to say, okay, this is going to be my uh, pet project and, and get good at that very fast, or uh, perhaps better, find someone who is a, a good salesperson and bring them on board, preferably as, as, a, as, a, as a shareholder also. Uh, but definitely, you know, getting the sales talent on board is super important. In addition to that, uh, it's also very important that you actually, you know, measure your sales. So not having the metrics in place for sales is, is, a, is, a, is a bummer, right? Because um, you may know, okay, I'm, I'm uh, uh, getting this in per month and, and, you know, my business is looking good. But it, this is also a health check. And, and as they say, you know, what gets measured gets done. And if you're able to say, okay, I'm getting, you know, this amount of visitors to my store every week and I'm getting this amount of sales, then you can sort of track how things are, are working. And you really need to work. I, I, I also really like the idea of working with a sales funnel, meaning that you have, uh, maybe you have some advertising on top of your funnel and then you have some visitors to your shop or your website or phone calls or whatever. And you have some, some interested customers and then you have some customers that actually buy your stuff but almost no matter what industry you are in maintaining a sales funnel and knowing you know how many people do i need to get uh, through my shop before someone will actually uh, buy something is a is a valuable uh, measurement as an example 
So Kim, you shared earlier that you started a business with your son so he could learn. Tell us about that. My goodness, how's that going? Yeah, that's going that's going well. Uh, um, so uh, this is, of course, uh, I have a son, Wilbert, who uh, loves skateboarding. And uh, I, I would like to see him grow up as an entrepreneur. So I am doing a bit of brainwashing, I would have to admit. Uh, uh, he is uh, uh, only 10, so he's not listening in on this, so I can uh, be honest with you. Uh, so uh, what we did was that we've, uh, we've set up a small online um, shop, uh, an internet shop for him where he's uh, selling skateboard gear. And what, we, uh, what we've actually done is that uh, we don't really hold inventory. So I am, uh, uh, I'm buying the products that he's selling in his shop at uh, a competitor at the same rate so this is actually, you know, costing me money. So every time he sells a, a, a helmet or a skateboard, it's it's costing me a few bucks, at least in in uh, in a postage. Um, but that way, of course, he is getting to know the idea of okay, I advertise here, that generates some visits to my shop, and I'm I'm selling something, and and we've agreed that he is earning a a five percent profit of of the price of whatever it is. So it's actually costing me money. But it's a, it's a super fun hobby. He, he, he's not selling that much, so it doesn't hurt me that much. And it's a, a great way for him to learn, you know, how to build a, a business. That's brilliant. And is he enjoying it? Is he having a good time? He's enjoying it. And he has, you know, made stickers. And he has now made a, a song <laughs> that he's put on YouTube about skateboarding, where he's filmed himself and friends skating and stuff like that. So he's doing marketing like that. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a hobby. But it's a, it's a fun great. thing. That is great. Kim Vidkara, I learned so much from you today. Thank you. I'm delighted to have you on the show. I want to tell our global audience the title of your book and how they can buy it on Amazon and all major book teller, book retailers. Brilliant title, How to F Up Your Startup, The Science Behind Why 90% of Companies Fail and How You Can Avoid It. Kim, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.